it was John Baptist who said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Which means that in life, even though things may change around you, there are some things that never change. So I promise you, the way I start my sermons has not changed. So here's what I want you to do for me. During this post-pandemic time when people are wearing masks and you can't tell whether they're smiling or frowning at you, here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to turn to the person seated beside you. If you can keep six, six centimeters, what's the distance? Six feet? All right, nobody cares. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, God loves you and so do I. As I said before, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So you know I'm going to make you do it again. And this time, I want to see spouses say to each other and actually mean it. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, God loves you, and so do I. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You do understand I can keep making you do this until the time has run out. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I say I'm excited to be back doing this, I actually mean it. It is amazing that after so long, we can worship together in spite of everything. Do you know that there are people who assumed that church was done? They thought it was over. But I'm here to say to you that what God has put together, no man can pull apart. Amen. And so as we worship together, there's so much to be grateful for. And I carry this gratitude with me as I speak today. When Brother Sutasa uh, uh, announced my return, he spoke about a dream about singing. And when he said that he dreamt he was singing, I said to myself, it's a good thing I'm back because I'm not going to let that happen. I'm just messing with you, man. It's okay to sing in the shower. Pastor Henry has permitted me to join his series. And out of respect for that, I'm going to get straight into the business of the hour. He has assigned to me Joshua chapter 4 and Joshua chapter 5. Today, I'm going to deal with Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the writing, the book of Joshua. I'm going to read from verse number 1 to verse number 7. For the sake of context and clarity, pay attention to the detail. Here's what the writer says. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. If you remember, 40 years before, Moses had chosen twelve men, to go and spy out the land. Ten had come with a negative report. Two had come with a positive one. Forty years later, Joshua sends, Pastor preached on this, how many men did Joshua send into Canaan? See, this is why I'm praying that the Lord removes the noise. He sent two people. Because from history, the majority is not always right. So he sent two people. 
But now Pastor Henry has brought us right into the Jordan last Sabbath. In response to the Lord opening up the waters of the Jordan, God is instructing Joshua on what to do next. Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. And so Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. This is not a pebble. This is not a little rock. It is so big, they have to carry it on their shoulders. So you can imagine that the choice of the man is a strong man. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. We will use these stones to build a memorial. To build what? In the future, parents and parents to be, pay attention to what I'm about to say. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you will tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Let us pray one more time. Speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen. Does anybody know who this is? Okay, that's terrible. I'll be back. I know you guys can see clearly. Does anybody know who that is? No, it's not a photo from American Horror Stories. Does anybody know what that is? Anyone? Yes, Pastor, it's a photograph. That has got to be the most genius thing that you've said already. So let me get this right. For all the Instagram, Facebook uh, photos that you've posted, some of you for the past 10 years, you probably got about 2,000 photos on social media, another 10,000 on your phone, another 20,000 on your computer, and you don't know what that is? That is the first selfie to ever be taken on earth. In 1939, about 15 years after the official unveiling of the camera, this gentleman, his name is, I forgot his name, he managed to take a picture of himself, something that had never been done before. Does anybody know why the camera was created? This is another genius moment for you. To capture moments. To capture moments. To immortalize a moment. And that's where the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words, not only evolved, but became more significant. Because before, artists were paid not a lot of money, Apparently, they made more money when they died, but they were paid to capture moments, and that moment took hours, if not days, to do. But with the camera, it took an instant for that picture to be taken. 
And ever since then, we have moved from this to this. We have moved to sophisticated devices to take pictures. In fact, a lot of you are using your phones. Some of you, I see you when pastor's preaching, you're, you're taking pictures of the, of the notes. I, I hope that that picture is also in your, in your, in your head. Memories. Do we do it because we are taking a picture to capture a moment and a memory? Or are we taking the picture for evidence? You do understand that there's a difference between doing something as a memorial and doing something as evidence. When you go on vacation and your kids don't want to take a picture and you're forcing them to smile, and then you take the picture and you say at the bottom caption, hashtag vacation, is that as evidence of that you were in a place? Or did you take the picture because, wow, that place is beautiful and I just want to share it with everybody? At a graduation, I see you guys when you graduate, you're taking pictures before, during, and after. And then a week later, you do a throwback Thursday. And a month later, you do another throwback Thursday. And when you're working, you do another throwback Thursday. Are you doing that because you're grateful that for four years or eight years, God was with you through the, through the dark times of studying and not having money for fees and not being able to hand assignments on time. And when you post that picture, you're saying, God was good to me. Or are you saying, loser, I just graduated. I see people post pictures of their weddings. Ten years later, people are posting a decade ago when there were 10 kgs less in weight. Are you doing it because you're happily married or are you looking at a time when you thought you were happily married? <laughs> when you post pictures of a baptism, I have seen people, pastor, jump on a plane, go to Israel, get baptized in the Jordan again and again and again. Is that a memorial of the power of Christ to change your life or is that evidence? I took a bath in dirty water in Israel. What is my point? My point is, when we take pictures, are we capturing in a moment in gratitude to the Lord, or are we doing it because we want people to see that we did it? In 2020, this photograph was taken among others. By the way, fun fact, I tried to find a picture of Putin and Zelensky shaking hands. There's nothing online. If you find it, please share it with me. I try to find one because politicians will sign documents, they'll sign agreements, they'll shake hands for the sake of the public, but really they don't mean it. In 2020, this agreement that was brokered by the French president, it meant nothing because Russia still went ahead and attacked. I knew, just thinking. So that picture was not a memorial of an agreement. It was just evidence that we are doing okay, but we're not really. I promise I'm not here to attack you guys on Instagram and Facebook. I could care less. In fact, I know more about you because of that. So please, keep posting. <laughs> Pastor, I need you to help me out. I don't think this thing is working no more. So just, uh, in fact, Val, just, just, when I do this, look at me, when I do this, I'm not dancing. This is me saying, change the slide. All right, help me out. When you think about what's next, often you think about what has been. Think about it. If you're a single person thinking about marriage and you're planning your future, your, your, your mind is consumed by all the relationships you've been in. You're questioning, was I that greater guy? Was I that greater woman? 
Do I deserve to take this next step? If you are coming out of college and you're about to start a job, I can imagine, Dr. Regina, right? I've had the privilege of your transitions from high school to medicine, and now you would, it feels good to call you doctor. It feels good to call you doctor, and I'm, I'm grateful for what the Lord has done for you and everybody else who's graduated in this place. But I imagine as you're sitting in the interview or about to talk to your first client or patient, you're asking yourself, Am I, do I deserve to be in this moment? So your mind swings between two things. Stay with me. Your mind swings between memories and dreams. Memories are the past. Dreams are the future. What kind of a lawyer will I be? What kind of an entrepreneur will I be? What kind of a doctor, accountant, whatever will I be? But you're always constantly drawn to the past. I want to let you know right now, even God does the same. Haven't you noticed that every time God introduces himself, he talks about the past? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. God always goes into the past so that he can propel them into the future. Because it is difficult to think about what's next without considering what has been. And the more you think about the past, please make sure it's a side mirror and not the rear view mirror. Because if it's the rear view mirror, you'll make an accident. Don't get stuck in the past. Use the past as a reference point. Don't get stuck in the past. Use it as a reference point. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. This is what God has done for me. Hints in your history. Pastor spent so much time pushing us forward. He's taken us from the wilderness to the, to the banks of the River Jordan. He's dumped us in there and abandoned us. It's my job to get us out. Right? He's, he's moving us forward. But I want us to go back just for a second. Because this is what God does. Hints in your history. Now and again, you should sit down. When you're troubled, when you're going through something, it is wise to sit down and ask yourself, what else has God seen me through before I got here? A lot of us, we suffer from spiritual amnesia. We forget the things that God has done for us. We get so consumed by now, we forget yesterday, we are anxious about tomorrow, and then we say stuff like, God doesn't love me. Joshua 3, pastor read this passage last week, Joshua 3, 3 to 4, Joshua instructs the people according to what the Lord has said, that when you get into the Jordan, make sure that there's a distance between you and the Ark of the Covenant. Pastor spent time explaining it, I'm not going to go over that again. It is the Ark of the Covenant, it is a relationship thing. But for some reason, there's a distance in between. I want to add, Pastor, to the value that you poured on us last week. I want to add to it. Let's go. Let's go. Um, um, next year, April 10, I'll be officially a decade in this country. Ten years. I've wanted to leave, but the food and my wife kept me here. Ten years. Ten years of eating Indonesian food. Ten years. I moved from 65 kgs to 105 in two and a half years. Ten years of good food, good conversations, ups and downs. But the one thing I am still not used to is driving in the toll road. One of my weaknesses, and pray for me, is I talk to myself when I drive. My son is very concerned about that. He's always asking me, Daddy, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry, little man, we'll talk when I get home. Here's what I don't like in the toll road. When I was trained how to drive, my dad taught me when I was 14, right? 
He taught me how to drive. And he said to me that when you're driving on the highway, the speed at which you drive will determine the space between you and the next car. Is that the same thing in Indonesia? In theory, yes. Yes. Why, why do you leave a space between yourself and another car? Can anybody, anybody tell me? So in case something happens, there's enough brake distance between you and the next car. Yes? Technology has even afforded us the option of the car telling you, you are too close. But we still don't listen. And so when I leave a space, some joker will come from behind and overtake me. I did not create the space for you to overtake me. I'm concerned about my safety. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What's that got to do with the sermon? Probably nothing. I'm just venting right now. Listen, God said, let there be a space between you and the Ark of the Covenant. Because if you come too close, you are coming too close to holiness. And here's what has happened in the past 10 years. Since the year 2000, people have become more bold to speak against the word of God. People are shaming the gospel. Young people are looking at their parents and saying, you can't tell me how to worship God. People are moving away from God. Do you know why? They've stepped up to the law of God, pastor, and they've decided this means nothing to me. And so when you're thinking about what next, God is saying, try to keep a distance. Because if you recognize my holiness in the past, it will carry you into what comes next. Because your life is not about being a doctor. It's not about being a lawyer. It's about being a child of God. You are sitting in here because you recognize I am more than what I do. I have been created by God. The best fuel for revival is remembrance. I came up with that sentence while I was watching. Uh, uh, I've been, Pastor, I've been trying to go back to the gym. For the past 10 years, I've been trying to go back to the gym. Right? And so some people like to watch football for myself. I like to listen to podcasts. And so I was watching a football match of my favorite squad. Does anybody know Pastor Sam's favorite football team? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, don't do that. Arsenal. I'm an Arsenal guy. Okay? And so while I was watching that and thinking about my sermon notes, this statement came to me. The best fuel for revival is remembrance. Let me explain it this way. Let me explain it this way. This year was the BWF Thomas Cup. Why did I choose the slide? Because the cup is called the Thomas Cup, right? And so Indonesia and India were in the finals. By the way, my condolences, you guys deserved it. It was a toss between Indonesia and India. And while God was deciding who was going to win, India won, right? If you go to the badminton or the sports association building for Indonesia, I, I think it's in Jakarta, if I'm not mistaken, if you go there, you will see all the trophies because Indonesia is really good at badminton, right? It's really good at badminton. Badminton? Badminton. Tomato, tomato. It's really good at the sport, right? Have you ever realized that even though there are all those trophies, it has never stopped the young people from trying to get another one? Have you noticed that? Okay, not everybody's into badminton. Let's go to this. Brother Sitas, I hope you can see the slide. I hope you can see the slide. The most FAA Cup titles in history, Arsenal holds the title. Uh, I'm the one preaching you. What's going on? Uh, no back talk. This is not a comedy uh, club. Right? But I can tell you that when they won the first cup, they didn't say to themselves, you know what? One is enough. We've done our best. When the next generation comes, they don't look and say, well, the older generation did a good job. We can just slack off and do nothing. Rather, the victories of the past are a source of revival for the generation to come. Let me bring it closer. 
As you look in the past history of your family, the spiritual journey they've taken, no matter what path it was on, the fact that your parents still call on the name of the Lord should be a source of encouragement to you that if they could do it, you can do it also. Don't we do that as pastors? We take over churches from other pastors. We are not intimidated by what they've done. Rather, we build on top of it because the work is the Lord's. But for some reason, we are motivated by what hasn't happened and we ignore what has. We keep looking forward, but we forget to look back. And so God is saying, y'all have just crossed the Jordan. I want to create a moment that you will never forget. There are two sets of stones. I have read Joshua chapter 4 for 20 years. 20 years I've stumbled into that chapter, but I've never noticed that actually there were two sets of stones. We spoke about this the other day. We always thought it was just one. For some reason, it didn't register that this was done twice in the same day. And so out of that experience, a message has been born. Hints in your history. Let's read. Let's read. Let's go. Let's go. Joshua 4, 46, the Bible says, so Joshua called together the 12 men that he had chosen. He told them, go into the middle of the river. I need your imagination. I need your imagination. Picture the Israelites coming up to the Jordan. The Bible says that the waters parted such a large distance, upstream and downstream. Not only did the waters part, but the ground became dry. Can you appreciate for a moment the quality of the miracle? Because God is so interested in them getting to the other side, he doesn't want them walking through mud. They've been through a lot already for 40 years. Some have died off, and so the ground is dry. They're crossing over, the priests are going ahead, everybody else is behind them. When they get to the middle of the stream, the priests stop. Because pastor, like a pilot, like the captain of a ship, the pastor should never get off until the members do. Only you can say amen to that because that makes sense to us. Right? So the priests are in the middle of the stream. And so Joshua says to the people, y'all go ahead. He chooses 12 men from his tribe. He tells them, come back from where you are. Come back into the middle of the Jordan. Mind you, there's water over there and water, water over that side. Twelve men must remain while everybody else goes ahead. They pick one boulder, each of them. They take it across to where they've camped. They set them down on top of each other. That's pile number one. Pile number one represents, take it back, go backwards, go backwards. A reminder for the generation that went through it. Do you know who the generation that went through it is? The people that came out of Egypt. The people that were in the wilderness, the people that experienced slavery, because listen, listen carefully. This is going to help a parent. It's going to help a young man, a young lady. The generations that came out of Egypt are not necessarily the generation that went into Canaan. Stay with me. Let's go forward, sister. Let's go, let's go forward. While you are in the midst of it, set up them stones. That's bad English, but it makes my point for me. They are crossing the Jordan. And God says, create a reminder right now. They are crossing and God is already saying, set up a reminder. They haven't gotten to the other side yet. And God says, come back, get some stones and set up a reminder. Do you see the spiritual significance of that statement? 
That while God was still helping them across, he is telling them, one day you will remember this and you will praise my name for it. There's a couple that's trying to have a baby right now. Here's what I want you to do when you get home. Uh, don't, I'm not going to tell you how to make a baby. That's not what I'm doing. Okay? <laughs> this is not that kind of a sermon. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into your bedroom. Again, mine's out of the gutter. I want you to go into your bedroom. And I want you to get on your knees and pray as a couple and say, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in this room. Whether today or another day. And if you're one of those couples that doesn't mind in the kitchen or the lounge, it's up to you in the shower. Just go pray wherever you got to pray. If you're looking for a job, you praise God for the success he's going to give you before it even comes. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? There are too many couples getting married and they're nervous. And that nervousness messes up the marriage. I want you to walk into it with confidence, not in yourself, but in what God is going to do for you. Set up the stones before you get to the other side. There's a cancer patient. There's somebody who's struggling with a debilitating disease. Dil I'm sorry, I've been teaching my son English, so sometimes it's, it, the, the roles are reversed. You're sick right now, and you're going through the worst experience in your life. You're between jobs, right there. Right there, set up some stones and say, Lord, this is for the future. I know what you're about to do. Amen, somebody. So there's three generations. Okay, good, you can see it. There's three generations. There's the Egyptian generation, the Egypt generation, the one that Joseph invited to come and join him in the land of Goshen. And for some hundreds of years, about 400 years, they set up in that place. Within the last hundreds of those years, a pharaoh came that didn't know uh, Joseph. He didn't honor the God of Israel. He oppressed God's people to the point that they cried out. So generation number one, the Egypt generation, they were enslaved. The second generation in the wilderness, they were introduced to God through the, the ten plagues. God manifested himself with a fire by night and a cloud by day. God provided that generation with manna. So some of those, please, please stay with me. Some of those in Egypt were in the wilderness. But because of disbelief, the Bible says that they were barred or pre prevented from entering Canaan. So for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Children were born in the wilderness. Mothers came into existence in the wilderness. Couples, people got married in the wilderness. People became farmers and shepherd boys and, and priests in the wilderness. Then now Joshua takes over from Moses. Moses took them out of Egypt and got them to the gates. Joshua took them from the gates inside. By the time we get to the Canaan generation in the book of Joshua, there are only two people. How many? How many? Two people that originally came from Egypt. Joshua and Caleb. Can you imagine the millions of people that crossed the Jordan? Probably hundreds of thousands that crossed the Jordan. And only two were part of the original crowd. They were born into slavery. They had to worship God in secret. They had to work for no pay. Then all of a sudden, this new generation in the wilderness never done a job in their life. This Gen Z generation, all of a sudden, every day, man is falling from heaven. No taxes. Shoes are not wearing off. For 40 years, their shoes never wore off. 
Of course, I don't see millennials wearing the same shoes for 40 years, but that's a miracle nonetheless. For 40 years, God provided. And by the time they get to the Jordan, the only original person is Joshua and Caleb. What happened with the worship? In Egypt, they were worshiping the way God had taught them through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and the generations to come. When they got to the wilderness, God gave Moses the designs for a sanctuary. Church was on the move. Brothers Utasa, it was a mobile church. They were moving around. For 40 years, they moved around. Set up the tent, worship, pull it apart. Set up the tent, worship, pull it apart. But when they came into Canaan, Solomon built the temple for the Lord. So the worship services changed. Through these three generations, worship changed, leadership changed, but one thing was constant, and that was God. God is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He is the same whether you are going through the worst experience or the best experience. Whether you love him or you don't love him, God remains the same. Whether you can have kids or you can't have kids, you're experiencing divorce, you're sick, you got no job, God is still the same. So what every generation should do is not look at the mistakes of the past, but look at the God of the past. Because if God brought you to it, he can get you through it. Amen, somebody. Amen. Let, let, let's go. What you're looking at on the screen is a news report on the destruction of the statue or the monuments of the Ten Commandments in the United States of America. <clears throat> Since 1980... Citizens of certain states have been trying to get these statues removed. Because right now, technically, America cannot be called a Christian nation. Even though the politicians still pretend to love Jesus, lifting up the Bible in front of the camera. It's never been. Since 1980, they've been trying to get rid of these statues. Now, please understand, I could care less about these monuments. Because only God can write on tables of stones, now he writes them in our hearts. So this is not a political statement about, oh, why are they destroying the Ten Commandments? I don't care. But here's what I'm thinking. Every time you look at all these Ten Commandments, if you look at where they begin, this one comes the closest. He says, I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. But none of these stones repeat what Exodus 20 actually says. Because when we forget the past, we never know where we're going. It is possible that many Americans, Indonesians, Africans, Afghanistanis, Iraqi people, Chinese people, no matter which part of the world, the reason that the majority of the population doesn't care about obeying God is because we've forgotten the history. Exodus 20 verse 1, the Bible says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. God has earned the right to tell us what to do because he, he released us from slavery. If you are a spiritual captive of the devil and God sets you free, don't you think that the right thing to do is obey him? But when we take away the history of freedom, we begin to think that God doesn't love us, so he's telling us what to do. There's young people saying, why should I obey a God I've never seen? And my response is, you may not have seen him, but your parents have seen what he can do for them. See, I'm not against young people. Trust me, I'm going to pick on everybody today. I consider myself a transition preacher because I believe I stand in the gap. I've seen the church move from being traditional to contemporary and this new word called progressive. I've seen all three stages of it. 
And the problem has always been the generational gap. One of these months, Pastor and I, we're going to talk about it. I want us to do a series on bridging the generational gap. In 2022, it still exists. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why your children are struggling with whether they are boy or girl. That's why your children are talking about, don't call me he, don't call me she, call me Zer and Joe. Those are genders that exist today. Your kids are confused because you are confused. Let me leave it alone. I just got back. Remind your children of the stones. Don't stone them with reminders. Can you tell the difference right there? Do you know why your kids don't want to get baptized? Do you know why your kids don't want to come to church with you? They'd rather go to another church. Do you know why? It's not because they don't love God. It's because they don't like you. You have not set a good example for them. I think it's about three or four Sabbaths ago. We were driving from the apartment coming to church, and my son has a lot of energy. And sometimes that energy manifests itself in negative behavior. And so I lost it. I got upset. And in the middle of getting upset, guess can I looked at each other like, imagine how he's going to feel about church if I keep going at him the way I'm doing it right now. I'm probably going to do it again, but pray for me. Keep yourself from keeping your children from church. The second set of stones is a reminder for the generation that went into it. I'm, I'm done with the parents. Let me speak to the young people. Joshua is very careful with what he does. He allows the people to set up a reminder for themselves. But then he sets up a reminder for his generation, the older generation. Because ladies and gentlemen, even though we're in the same building, the way your children see God is different from the way you see him. You've protected them from political issues. You've protected them from tribal issues as much as you can. You've provided them with a life that they could have never done on their own. But now, guess what? It's time for them to do it on their own. It's time for them to make mistakes. It's time for them to worship God the, according to the dictates of their consciences. Trust the work you've done. Because at some point, they need to be able to look back and say, this is how God has been there for me. So Joshua says, listen, that pile of stones is for all of y'all. But this one, this is for my people. For the old people, this one in the middle of the Jordan, this is for me, it's for Caleb and all the boys and girls that have, won, that have been laying to rest in the wilderness. Joshua is recognizing that my experience is not the experience of my children, but it is my job. Joshua chapter 24, you choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua understood. It's a choice. You choose whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, See, before Joshua could tell other people what to do, he made sure that God was in his home. Can somebody say amen? amen? I'm tired of people coming to me to complain about somebody else's kids when their kids are acting the fool. Take care of your business before you talk to me about somebody else's. Amen? Nobody. Joshua 4.9, Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, and they are there to this day. Not, not this day, but the day that it was written. It is possible because it's in the midst of the Jordan that they still exist today. But do you know what? Historians have discovered that the pile of stones that were done outside the Jordan no longer exist. But Joshua's pile still exists. Because if the older generation can hold on to the true, unadulterated spiritual experience, the next generation has a chance. I think I'm speaking too fast or... I'm just talking to you. So let me, let, me, let me back it up a little bit and say this. 
I'm not picking on anybody. I love you guys. I love you guys? Question mark? Thank you. One person said they love me too. I, I, I needed that. Joshua's stones are still there today. Meaning that the generation that got out of Egypt, the memory was maintained. Because if you try to allow the next generation to take care of things, guess what? It doesn't always do that. Because your children are receiving a secondary religious experience. They've been watching you. Now they're repeating and trying to do things on their own, which is awesome. But if the older people sit back and do nothing, if the older generation says, you young people, go ahead, you do it. I have not seen somebody over the age of 50 come up here and teach Sabbath school. I have not seen somebody over the age of 50 get up on the stage and sing praises to the Lord. Because you know what you've done? You've said praise and worship is for the younger generation. We sing hymns. But do you realize that there was a time when hymns were new? Hymns didn't exist since the garden. I love hymns, by the way. So don't be like, oh, pastor doesn't like hymns. I love all genre of music. I'm African. We're down for whatever. But stop saying the praise and worship is not for me. It's for the young people. Let's sing together because we're all marching to Zion. Because what a friend we have in Jesus. Do you see what I did there? I took a hymn and a praise and worship. Let's go to the next one. It's too soon, Pastor Sam. Slow down. When you forget how God has led you, you will always make mistakes in how you lead others. That's a fact. I'm back to the parents again. Look at me. All high and mighty telling parents how to behave when his son is three years old. Because you've forgotten what you did when you were younger, you are misguiding your children. I want to ask a question right now. How many parents have been honest with their kids about the heartbreaks they experienced when they were younger? Mothers, have you sat your daughters down and told them how your boyfriends broke your heart? Fathers, have you sat your sons down and told them how much of a player you were? Have you told them how many jobs you sucked at? How many beatings you got from your parents? Well, this generation knows nothing about beatings because they got a, they're the timeout generation. In fact, timeout is traumatic for a child. They experience trauma by feeling abandoned. So don't make them face a wall. Talk to them directly like an adult. I'm going to go to jail with that kind of advice. Have you sat your kids down and been honest with them about the mistakes you've made? Or do you pretend that you never made any mistakes? Do you act like it was all good? Because when you look at the history of Israel, God is very honest with each generation about the mistakes of the past. Their mistakes are repeated over and over again. But God is always put into the equation because God is the one who brings us out of our troubles. So when you sit down, mothers, with your daughter and you tell about the, the realities of a heartbreak, when you tell her about the realities of feeling ashamed when it's that time of the month, make sure you tell her about your experience. Don't put on the, 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 the Wonder Woman cape. Be honest. It was hard. Let's go. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. Meanwhile, the people hurried across over the riverbed. It doesn't help to think about the past. It doesn't help to worship God based on what he has done, but you don't move forward. It would have not helped anybody if God opened up the Jordan and nobody walked across. What would have been the point? So when the waters opened, they walked through. So when God comes through in your life and he does things for you, guess what? That's an opportunity to walk through. 
When God opens an opportunity for a job and you're trying to think, okay, maybe, maybe not this one. Let me try the next one. Maybe not this one. Maybe the next one. God sends a man into your life. He's a God-fearing man. He just so happens to be of a religion that you belong to. And this generation says, I am going to do my best to marry somebody from a different religion. God sends good men into your life. Sometimes they're up here singing for the Lord, but you choose to go outside. Too far? Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I've got two years, two and a half years of this stuff inside of me. Please forgive me. God opens a way for you. Why are you not walking into it? Sometimes God won't bother opening doors for you because he knows you won't even walk through. There are people who say, Pastor, I've been praying for this for so long. How come God is not blessing me? I don't know. But it is possible that God knows you better than you know yourself. God has seen you before. He's given you opportunities and you've never walked through. God has come through for you. He's done stuff for you. He's given you good health. What have you done with it? You've gone back and made the same mistakes. God has given you healing from that breakup, from that heartbreak, but you keep going back to the same type of men, the same type of women, and you're wondering, why doesn't God love me? No, you don't love yourself. The stones that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is a passage of scripture from Psalms talking about Jesus Christ. That while they piled up stones in Jordan, the time came when they forgot God. The Bible says in the book of Judges that the generation that came after Joshua forgot God. How disturbing is that? Joshua had led by example. He was a good father. He was a good leader. He was a good general. He was a spiritual example. But the moment he died and his generation passed away, the one that came after forgot God. That's disturbing. And by the time we come to the Gospels, they are so angry that they don't even recognize who Jesus is. They reject him. They crucify him. But the Bible says the same stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. You and I are building for what's next. We are trying to build homes. We are trying to build businesses. We are trying to build churches and ministries. We are trying to do so much. The question is, is Jesus the cornerstone of what's next? Or have you thrown away the stone and said, I'll do it on my terms? For the three individuals who are getting baptized today, your spiritual experience doesn't end today. It begins today. You begin to build on the cornerstone that is Jesus. Start building memories with him. Don't build memories based on your family. They're going to disappoint you. Build it on Jesus. You become an example to them. My biggest prayer, God is still here to answer one of them. When my brother and I were baptized, my prayer was that every single one of my family would become a baptized member of the church of the Lord. And over the past 20 years, my mom, my brother, my sisters have all come over. My dad is still remaining. Y'all need to pray for that man. He is a rock himself. You understand what I'm saying? That's my prayer for my family. Because what is the point if we can't bring the people that we love? The power of remembering, I'm done. The power of remembering, old reminders prepare you for new experiences. Old reminders prepare you for new experiences. Number two, let's go. I messed up the slides. One more in between. Old reminders keep you focused on the original and not the imitation. If you can remember what God was like in the beginning of your spiritual journey, you will never be fooled by other people along the way. 
You will always know the same God that brought me in will see me through everything in life. So be clear about the original and nobody can mislead you. Finally, old reminders reveal the patterns of life. There's nothing new under the sun. I don't care how much technology you have. I don't care how much, how much social media experience you've exposed yourself to. The bottom line is the way things have been is how they will always be. So the best thing you can do is hold on to the Lord. Hold on to the Lord. Forgive me if anybody feels that I've judged them in the sermon. It's not my intention. I'm simply saying don't forget God as you're making decisions. Amen, somebody. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. One of the greatest fears for the gospel is that people would forget the Lord. And so, Father, as we sit in your presence with our heads bowed and we are, we are hearing this word, I pray that all of us may receive it wherever we are. There's a lot of growing, there's a lot of learning that we need to experience. But the best thing we can do is to keep a record in our hearts and our minds. Maybe even write it down of how you have led us and how you've been a part of our experiences in this life. As I stand up here, I can see three generations. We have the grandparents, we have their children, and we have the grandkids. The ones who are still learning about life, learning to talk, learning to walk, to count, to read. We have the generation that is moving from schools of learning to the work experience. We have people who are trying to juggle work and the prospects of marriage. We have people who are trying to figure out marriage and parenting. This room is filled with so much what next. And so what we can do in this moment, Lord, is to block out the noise and think about how God has been there for us in the past. We all have different views about what life looks like. We're all dealing with it as it comes. But Father, I pray that you may be the constant that we need to see another experience in this life. As human beings, we cannot decide for somebody else what they do with their life. But we can advise them. Take God with you. Take God with you. Take him into your career. Take him into your parenting experience. Take him into your business. Take him into your relationships. Take him with you to the doctor's office. Take him with you when you're dealing with debt. Take him with you when you're dealing with sin. Take him with you when you're confronted by the biggest mountains and rivers that you cannot cross alone. Take him with you. Because wherever God is, waters are patterned. Walls come tumbling down. And so I pray, Father, for some young man, some young lady. Teach them the value of having you in their lives. I pray for a parent. May they lead their children the way you have led them. I pray for the pastor. Help him lead the way you lead. I pray for church members. May they follow the way that your people have followed. I pray for those who have a love for winning souls. May you win souls the way that Jesus wins souls. And at the end of the day, 
May we be able to look back and say, these are the 12 stones of experience that we have with God. Now we are going to go into the next, into the next, and see what else God can do. And now I pray, be above us to watch over us. Be beneath us to lift us up when we fall. May you be by our side to walk with us as a friend. May you walk ahead of us to guide us. Walk behind us so that we may never, ever, ever go astray. May you surround us to protect us. But above all, may you be in our hearts so that we may never forget you. In the wonderful, wonderful, constant, loving, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let everybody say amen and amen. God bless you. You see, I know that that word spoke to you and it resonated with you at some point and you would like to respond to it. And I want to let you know that you can do that right now. Perhaps you want to do Bible studies to know more about Jesus Christ. Perhaps you want to be baptized. Perhaps you just want to recommit your life to Jesus. Please text us on the number on the screen. I'll be more than happy to respond to you and to your needs. May God bless you and take care of you. And I must see you very soon.